What a great set to set us up for what it is that we're going to talk about this morning. If you have your bulletin, there are sermon notes in there today. We're back to sermon notes. We have them every once in a while, and I have them there for you this morning, and we'll continue in that journey over the next few weeks as we start a new series next Sunday morning. If you ever have the opportunity to invite someone to church and uh, they want to be a part of a brand new series, invite them next Sunday. We start a brand new series out of the book of Joshua. So it's a great opportunity for you to invite someone. There's still plenty of room. See some sections around here that have some empty spaces. So please invite someone to come and be a part of our fellowship together. Last Sunday morning, we talked about the issue of healing. I ask you to answer a question at the beginning as well as the end of the message. It's the same question that Jesus asked two blind men. What would you have me do for you? The question I want to explore this morning is this. What will you let Jesus do in you if he hasn't done something yet for you? What will you let Jesus do in you if he hasn't done something yet for you? Specifically, obviously, along the lines of what you asked him to do last Sunday morning. A number of months ago, as I was putting the series together, I really felt constrained that these two messages had to go together. I had so much unbelievable fun last Sunday morning sharing the message, and seeing what God was doing at the end of that. This message is a little bit more difficult to preach because of the context of what it is that I'm about to share, but I was absolutely convinced that these two needed to go together. Last Sunday morning, dozens and dozens and dozens of people responded to seek God for healing. They specifically were asking Him to do something. They literally were answering the question of what would you have Jesus do for you? And dozens of people responded. I found it intriguing that almost every single Sunday here at Community Alliance Church, I say to you at the end of the message, if you want someone to pray for you, come up. And many do. But last Sunday morning was different. And dozens of people responded and came and asked God specifically to do something in their life or their body. If indeed you have seen God do something in your life, we'd love to know that. I had a dear lady this morning that said to me, I meant to tell you this week, God touched me last Sunday morning. What I asked God to do in my feet, he did. I got a call on Tuesday of a couple who said, I very specifically felt constrained to ask God very specifically for what I wanted. In her case, it was for a job. On Tuesday morning, God answered exactly the way I had prayed. If indeed, if indeed God has touched you in some way in response to what you asked him to do last Sunday morning, we'd love to hear your story. We'd love to see what God is doing in your life. This morning I want to address this question or this statement. If he doesn't or hasn't answered your request from last Sunday morning yet, would you consider the possibility of allowing him to do something in you? Because to be honest with you, that's a choice. You can choose to be angry if he didn't respond to what you asked him to do last week. You can choose to be disillusioned. You can choose to be disappointed with God. Or you can choose to trust Him. And know that at this time or at this moment or for that need or this situation or this time frame in my life, even though I don't understand it, I don't really like where I'm at, I will choose to trust you. And if there's something you want to do in me, because at this point you haven't done something for me, Based on what I asked last Sunday morning, I'm going to choose to allow you to do that. 
You see in your sermon notes, and when I look at my sermon notes, I realize that I write them and put them together like I talk. You know, using the word in your sermon notes, to be honest, or you see. And a lot of what you'll hear this morning, a lot of what you'll read this morning is taken right out of my notes. And you'll know it's the way I talk. But you, you need to understand that the healing work of Christ goes beyond flu and cancer. Sometimes instead of doing a work on your body, he wants to do a work in our soul. And many times what we learn through the process is even more important, hard to believe, but many times what we learn through the process can be even more important than our healing about ourselves, about others, and about God. I got a phenomenal email this week right along that line of someone who would have not chosen to ever, ever go through what they're going through but simply said, what God has taught me in this journey has been astounding. And maybe I wouldn't have learned it or have seen it or experienced it had we not gone through what we went through. Our journey with Jesus is far more than salvation. Our journey with Jesus is also about sanctification. A work deep down in our soul. 1 Thessalonians 5, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, set you apart, develop in you, work on you through and through. May your whole spirit, your whole soul, your whole body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who called you is faithful and he will do it. But in many cases you have to allow him and give him permission to do that. Or you can choose to be angry or bitter or disillusioned with God. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 said, Look, I don't want you to lose heart. The outward man is wasting away. Day by day, the outward man is wasting away. How many of you know that? I mean, you sense that. You get up in the morning. You're, you're not 12 anymore. You're not 22 anymore. You can't jump off buildings and wagons and silos and all this stuff that I used to do when I was a kid on the farm. I can't do that anymore and recover in a few moments. Normally, it's a week or 10 days. The outward man is wasting away day by day. You notice I don't have a Bible up here. You know why? Because everything has to be Denny Font. I mean, this is 16 fonts so that I can see it. The outward man is decaying day by day. Paul said the inward man can be renewed day by day. No matter how hard we try to preserve this life, no matter how hard we try to preserve this body, you can tuck it, you can tweak it, you can do whatever's necessary for it, and you ought to take care of yourself. But at some point, it's going to give out. For some, sooner than others. But you're not going to live forever. None of us are going to live forever. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that to judgment. And even though the outward man is wasting away day by day by day, the inward man can be renewed day by day, which is what Paul is saying. How do you respond? How do you answer the question if someone came to you like they do for me and, and, and you were there and, and they sought God for healing and they really believed, I am absolutely convinced of what I shared last Sunday morning and, and they ask you, God didn't heal me yet. How do you respond? What do you say? There are so many instances of healing in Scripture. Almost every one of them immediate. Jesus spoke a word. He touched their eyes. He touched their hand. Phrases like this, your faith has made you whole. Matthew, when he says, and he healed all their diseases. 
Seems so simple. And why did she die? Why wasn't he healed? Why wasn't she healed? Didn't I have enough faith? Those are all really honest, legitimate, and great questions. And believe me, at times I've wrestled through them all, especially in my position when people come to me for answers. And they'll show me scriptures. Look, he healed all their diseases. Your faith has made you whole. Over and over again, the phrase is there. He touched them and they immediately saw. He touched their leg and it became whole again. They walked just in a moment of what Jesus said. It seems so simple. It seems so almost elementary in Scripture. Yet I have prayed year after year and time after time and moment after moment. I've been anointed by oil so many times I feel like I don't even squeak anymore. And yet God hasn't touched me yet. Why does it seem so simple in Scripture when it seems so mysterious at times in my own personal life? And have you ever asked that question? Or is it just me? If I'm just talking to me this morning, go, you go. I get that. But I've asked those questions. I can't even answer all my own questions, let alone all those who come to me. But I will never, ever, ever stop doing what we did last Sunday morning. Even when I know there are situations where people have prayed, we've anointed multiple times, and God hasn't intervened and God hasn't touched, I will never, ever, ever stop doing what we did last Sunday morning, believing at that moment Jesus could heal and restore and make new. And I'm absolutely convinced that not only is Christ our Savior, our sanctifier, and our coming King, He is our healer today. But there are all times when we, when we wrestle with questions like this, and we wonder, what else could God be doing or why hasn't he responded yet? What do I learn in this process? This morning in your sermon notes, I want to give you some of those things. Not all of them. I could spend three more weeks on this subject. Only going to share with it today. Sometimes he may want to work on my soul more than my body. Sometimes, not for everyone, so please understand that, not for everyone, but sometimes he may want to work more on my soul than my body. Most of the times we see each other on Sunday morning, the question always is, how are you? Right? How you doing? How's it going? You okay today? How's the family? How's the kids? Whatever, it's just one of those common questions that we ask each other. I'll still never forget Jan Besnicker, who was here years and years ago, who one time in her old sanctuary, back a hall that used to go to the choir room, she stopped me and said, how are you doing? I said, Jan, do you really want to know? She said, I really do, and I unloaded on her. She never, ever asked me that question again. <laughs> and you have to be selective, especially in my case, as to how you're going to answer that question. But most of us, it's fine. Even if you're not, you answer fine. If you have honest relationships, hopefully with some in your small group or people that you're connected with, you can really say how you're doing. But I've only had one person in my entire life out of the thousands and thousands of people that I know who every time I see him or talk to him will say, how is your soul? How are you doing in your soul? One guy. If I were to ask you that question this morning, not how are you or how are you doing or how's the kids or how's work, how's your family, how's your soul? Because there are times that God wants to work on that even more than our body. 
Because the body is going to die and deteriorate and go into ground. And it doesn't matter how good they preserve it. At some point or the other, until Jesus tarries and calls us all home and reunites our body with our soul and we forever live with him in the air, it's going to decay. But your soul lives on forever if you know Christ. And sometimes he wants to work a little bit more on our soul than our body. And if he healed us immediately at that right moment, maybe we wouldn't have dealt with some of this other stuff or we wouldn't have given him time to deal with some of this stuff because we moved on in our life to another segment of our life. And sometimes he slows us down enough to speak to us about an issue in our soul. And in those times, I want to live with a spirit of anticipation. I'm saying, God, what do you want to do in here? I know what I'm asking you to do out here, but what do you want to do in here? I'm listening. Now, sometimes, number two, there are times that healing comes from the inside out. There is some junk, some stuff that is manifesting itself in physical issues that God really wants to address specifically in my life. The first one is more soul stuff, just how I am or how I'm doing. And the second one is maybe there's some stuff that I need to get rid of that has manifested itself in physical issues. And in those moments of waiting on God, his spirit begins to point out that issue. Sometimes the junk on the inside manifests itself in physical issues. Last Sunday morning, we celebrated communion, and I don't always read the passage of Scripture. I know it off by heart when I begin that phrase, the Lord Jesus, the same night he was betrayed, took bread and blessed it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup and he supped from it, and he gave it to them and asked them to share it as well. And we talk about the forgiveness of sins that comes through the shedding of blood. But it goes on. He says in that passage that I don't always quote, before you eat the bread and drink the cup, you ought to examine yourself. You ought to look inside. You don't ever want to eat the bread or drink the cup in an unworthy manner. So you better look inside before you share those moments. And we don't always give you the opportunity to do that, much to my dismay at times, personally. But Paul goes on to say, look, there are There are times when those issues have manifested themselves in physical ways. Matter of fact, he said that some haven't done that, which is why many are weak and sick and a number have fallen asleep, which means they have died. If they were more discerning in regard to themselves, they wouldn't come under that kind of judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be fully or finally condemned with the world. So maybe in that process of waiting on God, there's some stuff deep inside, some sin I haven't dealt with or some unconfessed issues or just some junk that I keep being bottled up that, I, that I'm only going to deal with in those moments of waiting on God. Now, I want to clearly remind you, because I said last Sunday morning, there are some that preach that every physical issue is the result of sin in your life, and that is not true. And they also will preach that if you indeed are sick, that's not as God's will for your life. None of us as believers in Christ should ever be sick, and that's not God's will. And I don't preach that as either because I don't believe that's true. I just want to make sure that you remember that that 1 Corinthians passage is pretty clear and very honest about times in our lives when stuff has remained there and we have not dealt with it. Now it's manifesting itself in a physical issue. And maybe in this process of waiting on God, there's some junk that I need to deal with. Now, not all physical issues are a result of sin. I think it's in your sermon notes this morning. Yeah, John 9, chapter 9, when 
Jesus was walking along with his disciples. They saw a man blind from birth, and the typical question was this, who sinned? Who messed up? Remember Job's friends? I have no idea why they were ever called Job's friends. They were not good friends. Matter of fact, even his wife wasn't a minister of discouragement or a minister of encouragement. She said, why don't you just curse God and die? That's what you need from your spouse, isn't it? You're going through tough water. Just curse God and die for heaven's sakes. His friends come in with all kinds of analysis, but one of the first things they said is, what did you do? My wife celebrated her birthday a few weeks ago, and, and I went to the store, and I got her flowers. You know the very first question she asked me and the cashier asked me when I was walking out? What do you think it was? What did you do? Did you do? Absolutely. Why is that the natural conclusion when a man just wants to buy flowers for the woman of his life? What did you do? But it is a standard question that many of us ask. What did you do? And Jesus said, look, it wasn't him. It wasn't his parents. This is for God's glory. It wasn't this man or his parents that sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed. There are times when God needs to put me down on my back for a while so that I can look up or look in. Look up at him or look inside my soul. And if he healed me immediately, I may not take the time to do that. Believe me, four years ago, God put me on my back. And I had no other choice but to look up and to look in. doesn't happen with everyone, but I am saying there are times that God may put us on our back so that we can look up and so that we can look in. Sometimes it's in that dark valley, number three, where he reveals himself the most. If I were to take this flashlight and take it outside and shine it, I mean, you know it's a flashlight. You couldn't help but seeing it. But if all of a sudden darkness hit and it was dark and you couldn't see anything, you'd want a light, wouldn't you? I mean, if it was pitch black outside or pitch black in here, you'd want a light. You'd want to know which direction I'm supposed to go. Thank you. It's all right outside when I have a light. But sometimes when I'm really in the darkest moments of my life, I want to know where the light is. And sometimes the light of Christ's love and grace shines the brightest in the midst of the darkest valleys of your life. We're so unbelievably blessed in our community to have VNA in Benbrook and Good Samaritan's Hospice over in Concordia. They're some of the neatest people I've ever met who are walking people through the end of their life. In the last number of weeks, I've spent a lot of time there. A few weeks ago with Rhonda that I mentioned last Sunday morning that I did her funeral for on Monday, I spent a lot of time with her family. While I was spending time with Dirk and so overwhelmingly impressed with his love and commitment, I said to him at the funeral on Monday, Dirk, I've had 19 and 23-year-olds stand in front of me to say for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health who had no idea what they just committed to. None. I did it yesterday. This girl looks like she was 14 <laughs> when I was doing a wedding yesterday down in Pittsburgh. And I said, honey, <laughs> you have no idea what you just agreed to. 
And he looked at me and said, I know. <laughs> but when you watch somebody who really means that in sickness and in health, till death do them part, it is astounding. In the very next room was a man named Dan. And I asked his permission to share the story. Dan's wife, Bonnie, was dying of a brain tumor similar to Rhonda, 55 years old. Loved her to death. We sat in a room, and I just simply went over to say hi. I had known there was some connection, and I sat with him for about 20 minutes one day, and I was overwhelmed with his personality. He said, Denny, I'd have never believed this in a million years, that God's grace would be so real, that God's presence would be so amazing, that I could actually feel and sense it. I would have never wanted to go through that to get here, but I wouldn't change what I know about God now for anything in the world. And the very day that Rhonda died, Bonnie died. We both walked into glory together, whole and healthy knowing Jesus. There are times in the darkest valleys of our lives that the light of Jesus shines so bright, it's amazing. One of my favorite people on this planet, here at Community Alliance, but on this planet, is a young 22-year-old girl named Amelia. I've known her since she was five. And I've watched her grow up. She is on fire for God, loves Jesus down to her soul. Vibrant, active. A few years ago, she was diagnosed with a disease that I can't even pronounce. And she has spent the last few years in a wheelchair. I went to her graduation party. She was in a wheelchair. A few weeks ago, I sat down with her and interviewed her. I said, I'd love to share your story in a couple of months based on a sermon that I believe God wants me to speak. I said, can we share that story? And she said, you can. So watch. genetic condition. Um, we've been treating it as mitochondrial disease. Um, hopefully we will have a firm diagnosis in the next few months as I'm getting genetic testing. Um, it causes muscle weakness. Um, it causes my um, intestines and stomach to not move food through, so I'm dependent on IV nutrition. Um, and it causes my autonomic nervous system to uh, malfunction. Um, among other things. Um, I eat with total parenteral nutrition. It's all IV nutrition. I get it in a, through a catheter um, surgically placed in my chest and all my fluids I receive that way as well. I am taking one class at a time through BC3. I can walk. Um, I just can't walk very far. I get tired and because my joints are hypermobile um, I use braces to help stabilize my legs. I'm a nurse to myself, basically. <laughs> uh, my parents do help, but uh, throughout the day, you know, I'm constantly uh, 
maintaining you know my lines and my tubes I have um, two tubes in my stomach and my central line so I'm getting IV fluids the time I really remember uh, was reaccepting him um, like a rededication November of 2009 um, I was homesick from school and uh, we were watching a program with my mom and I just really uh, remember asking him back into my heart again and really uh, kind of being on fire again for Jesus. If I was angry at him, who would I turn to? And my doctors are so limited in what they can do for me. Um, with this disease, um, all they can do is manage my symptoms and um, so he's my portion and everything. Um, he, I ask him to be my medicine a lot at, you know, at night so there's nothing more I can take and I'm miserably sick. And, you know, he always is there for me, so I, I need him. I can't be angry with him. His will is always going to be carried out. It's never going to fail. He knows what he's doing. I've learned not to be so afraid. I think I used to be afraid of more things, um, just general fears that most people have, um, you know, death and pain. And, um, and I've learned how incredibly real and close God is. Um, one particular thing happened when I was septic and I went into shock. And um, I had to fight really hard for my life that night. And um, after they stabilized me and were moving me into the ICU, I, I thought I went to sleep. I told a nurse later I had a really good nap, and she told me that I wasn't sleeping. I didn't ask any more questions. But I went to this place, and it was dark, and it was peaceful. And it was a peace that I've never felt before, and it's not, it was not of this world. That's all I know. God has been so faithful and to heal several things that I um, had that were really causing my other problems to be um, intensified and, and it, making it just so incredibly difficult to live. And um, I used to have a condition called RSD, which is a pain disorder and really severe acid reflux disease and um, asthma. And I no longer have any of those things. Um, just took them away in the middle of the night. I would wake up and I could just feel his presence really strongly all around me. And well, I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't say it was incredibly difficult. And sometimes I just want to quit and be done. Whether I'm healed or whether I have to continue doing this, um, I know that he's got a really amazing. And I would say that um, that he really is there and he really does care. And he's not just putting them through this just because he's a big God up there and he's just doing whatever he wants to do. That he's got a purpose. and. Um, there is only one answer to this life, and um, there's only one thing that can satisfy, and that's Jesus Christ. Look for your purpose in life, because he has one for you. I've heard people say that um, they have trouble finding God, but I don't think God's ever lost. He's always right there, and um, I think it's just up to us to really reach out to him, because he never walks away, he never leaves. My name is Amelia Moore, and this is my story. See why I love her so much? Had a chance to let her see her story last night because she couldn't be here this morning. And she said, make sure you tell everybody it was 2000, not 2009, when I recommitted my life to Christ. There's a time in the life of the apostles when Jesus was teaching and it was difficult for them to respond. It was difficult for them to understand. What he was calling them to was so much deeper than they ever anticipated it being. When a few weeks or years before that, he said, leave your boats and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. A number of disciples began to leave, not the 12, but a number of those that were around Jesus began to leave. And he looked at those 12 and he said, are you leaving too? And Peter said one of the most profound statements in all of scripture when he said, where else would we go? 
Because you alone have the answers to life. Sometimes in the darkest moments of our lives, when we don't understand and we don't like what we're going through and we wish it were different, we wish it would change and I wish I could get out of this wheelchair, he reveals himself the most. And sometimes it's a choice to listen and let him do that. I've learned more from watching other people than I'll probably ever learn in a thousand classes in seminary in their response to life. Sometimes, number four, a delay in healing is an opportunity for my faith to be deepened. Sometimes a delay in healing is an opportunity for faith to be deepened, either mine or someone else. See, you can't always use Scripture to answer every question and simply say, well, he suffered, so we don't have to, so we shouldn't have to go through this. It's sometimes we learn best through difficulty. One of my most unfavorite sections of Scripture is in my favorite book called James when he said, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I don't do that well. <laughs> I don't consider it pure joy, but he said, Consider it joy when you go through various trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance, when it finishes its work, will allow you to be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And then I say, all right, God, I want to be mature and complete. And he will say to me, just so you know, at times you may have to go through this to get there. I love music. I love music of all kinds. I, I encourage you today, if healing hasn't come yet, just simply Google even if the healing doesn't come. And then listen to the song. I'm not sure who did it, but Cutlass is the one that I listen to over and over and over again online. Even if the healing isn't, doesn't come, you are faithful and you are there. So what can we learn from the Jesus motto in your notes this morning? We can learn that he suffered, suffered to show us how. Got verses all over Scripture, and one of the things I'm just constantly pointing to is that the Word of God will be answers to every question you have and every situation you go through. First Peter says he shows us how to suffer. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you could follow in his steps. He suffered to show us that evil doesn't win in the end. Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Scorned his shame and sat down at the right hand of God. He suffered so we don't lose heart in Hebrews 12. Consider him who endures such opposition from sinners so that you don't lose heart and give up. 1 Peter 5, the God of all grace who called you into eternal glory after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He suffers so that we can understand that at times perfection comes through suffering. He suffered in Hebrews 2 to show us how. And sometimes it comes so that it can teach us to walk by faith and not by sight. One of the most amazing scriptures, and I keep saying that over and over again, which I'm hopefully getting you to get a point, that it's the Word of God that gives answers, is at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. It's the hallmark of faith. And the writer lists situation after situation and person after person who displayed incredible faith. And God allowed them the opportunity to do some amazing things. <coughs> and then he finishes in that section by saying, not everyone saw what they saw. 
Some died, some were put to death by stoning, some sawed in half, some killed by the sword. They went around in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world isn't even worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, lived in canes, caves and holes in the ground. They were all, though, commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised or what they were even asking for because God had something better for them so that together with us they would be made perfect. First Peter 1, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into the living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that's ready to be revealed. In this you greatly rejoice, though for a while you suffer all kinds of grief. They come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor just like that girl did. When Christ is revealed. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and you're full and filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end of your faith and the salvation of your souls. So what do we do? Let me give you some application points. Don't always equate lack of healing for lack of faith. Don't always equate lack of healing for lack of faith. If I'd have had more faith, if I would have prayed like them, if I would have had him pray for me, if I would have had that kind of faith, don't always equate lack of healing for lack of faith. So quit beating yourself up if God hasn't responded yet in the way you want. Remember that God works in different ways for different people. You're going to see that in a few weeks as we celebrate the journey of Joshua, but there are so many times that we are always looking for formulas. John Stumba, who last September shared with us his story of 77 days in a hospital in an uncertain way, and they still don't know to this day what it was that kept him there. They call it the Stumbo Syndrome because there's no reason that he should have spent that much time. He said, if I had one more person with one more formula, if I had done this, taken that, eat those, do that, it would have all gone away. It doesn't always happen the same way for everyone. Don't always see James 5 as the only path to healing. We believe in it, we practice it, we anoint with oil, we pray as we do, but it's not the only way God heals. Rejoice that He is a God who answers old prayers, so keep on asking. I grew up, take it to God and leave it there, walk away and leave it with Him, and then I see the story of the persistent widow who kept banging on the judge's chambers for an answer to a question, and he finally said, the evil judge, just finally, after listening to her time after time after time, gave up and gave in. How much more will your Father who loves you respond to that prayer? So keep asking. I get it. I understand it when they say, take it to the Lord and leave it there. Don't walk away with it. I get and understand that. But until I see God answer in whatever way he wants to answer, when I know for sure God has answered, whether it be no, whether it be in death, whatever that may be, I'm going to keep asking. Learn new ways of experiencing God's love. Learn new ways of experiencing God's love and grace. Don't always see it in the way you always thought. Know that your places of deepest pain Know that your places of deepest pain are some great places to meet God. That your days of deepest pain are some great places to meet God. 
This may be your one and only chance to live by faith. This life really is your one and only chance, my one and only chance to live by faith. Because when we get to glory, <laughs> it's all revealed. So now is the only time that I really do have to live by faith. When Jesus appeared to the disciples and finally to Thomas, who doubted that he rose from the dead, he showed him his hands and showed him his feet, and he said, Blessed are those when the day comes when they don't have to see to believe. When you don't have to see a miracle to believe that Jesus loves me. When I don't have to see him answer my prayer to know that he really does care. Blessed are those who don't always have to see the miracle to believe that God exists and God is powerful and God can answer my prayers. And finally, never forget that future perfection awaits those who know Christ. Never forget that future perfection awaits those who know Christ. You all know that I grew up on a dairy farm, and I love that environment. I love that place. And we still have family reunions. My family is, my parents are now 82 and 84, married 62 years today. And they love having us come back. And everybody loves coming back to the family reunion. My kids love coming back. They tell their friends, come to our family. You're going to love this place. You're going to love being there. You're going to love seeing what it's all about. And their grand, my grandkids are now coming and all of our relatives come back. One time of the year on July 4th because they love coming back to that place. And they'll invite their friends. You've got to see it. It's just such a phenomenal environment. John 14 is one of those famous passages of Scripture that I read every funeral that I do. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go now and prepare a place, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to come back and get you. Reading the Daily Bread a few months ago when he said, did you ever think of the fact that Jesus was doing it from the vantage point of someone who was so excited about what he had to show you that he was saying to them, man, I'm going to prepare a place that will blow your mind. I can't wait for you to see it. I can't wait for you to see it. I'm going to come back and get you, and I'm going to take you there. I can't wait for you to see what it looks like. Never forget that there is a day when we will be whole, and we will be well, and our sight will be restored, and our limbs will be restored, and our cancer will be taken away. All the issues that we face in life will be gone. But in the meantime, we live between two gardens. That incredible garden and beginning of time that was absolutely perfect. And the promise of a future. And Jesus said, there will come a day when God will be your father. And he will be with you. And he will wipe away every tear from your eye. There will be no more dying, no more crying, no more death, no more pain. But in between, life can be difficult. John has written two books, Honest to God About Suffering, that he talked about uh, a number of months ago when he was here, who is now the Alliance president. And he wrote another one called In the Midst. And it's some of the things that God taught him in the darkness. Let me read to you some of the things that he says. I'm prone to discouragement, even depression. Through the years, I've learned some strategies to ward off and overcome those tendencies. One is to remind myself, ground myself, and declare certain to be true, certain truths. This is the only chance I have to live by faith because then it will be like sight. This is the last opportunity I have to experience the blessed promise of those who don't have to see and still believe. This is the only time that I'll ever be old. So I want to be old well. 
This is the only opportunity I'll ever have to experience pain. I don't want to waste the experience. This is the only existence that I have that I'm called to walk by faith and not by sight. Walking is a passing privilege for those who are still living between two gardens. It's passing because we know this is where the chapter, we know where the chapter ends. A personal audience with Jesus. I don't know where the road will lead along this way, but I know where it leads then. It's the presence of Jesus. You see, our road doesn't end in a cancer ward, a hospital bed, a mortuary, or a gravesite. It ends in the presence of Jesus where we discover that life has only just begun. It will be our turn to see his loving eyes, to hear his life-creating voice, to touch his sacrificial scars. It will be our turn, like Peter, to walk with him along the shore, to, like Mary, sit at his feet, like John, to be alongside him at the banquet table when he said, there will come a day when I will share this meal again with you. And you will be with me and we'll share it together forever. Paul tells us in Corinthians 15 that the last enemy to be destroyed is death, the very last one. Destroyed it will be. Death dies and with it all the, those who are diabetic, arthritic, afflicted, inflicted, infected, broken, saddened, lonely, wearied, fearful, insecure, and paralyzed. Behold, I am making all things new in Revelation, even us. These final sunsets that I face on this earth may be my last lingering days to walk the path of faith because there will come a day when those bright golden streets await and all will be well and I will be well as well with him. Even if the healing doesn't come, he is faithful. And there may be some things in that journey that he wants to teach you, that he wants to teach me. And if I allow him to do that, it may be even more glorious than what I asked him to do last week. The choice is ours. Father, I thank you for your grace. It is amazing. I thank you for the power of healing and the lives who are touched, who immediately see the results of what Jesus is doing in their bodies, who are coming to you faithfully asking and know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you've been involved in their life and you've touched them and you've healed them. For others who are waiting on you, who wonder where it's going to go, who wonder what you will teach them in that journey, I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that you will speak and let them hear you as well. May your glory and grace abound as we wait on you for what it is that you want to teach us. Allow us to be your servants. Say, teach me, Lord. Let me learn. A lot of you here this morning are still waiting. We can pray for you today. We'd love to do that. But I hope you will put these two together because they're really critical to our spiritual development of where God wants to take us. My time is gone, and I know that. So as you lead this morning, you're going to hear a song that has been sung before. Amy sang it once even here. Sometimes blessings come in raindrops. And uh, I know the time is tight, so I want you to go. But uh, if you have a chance, listen to it at home. And if you have the opportunity, even when the healing doesn't come, you are faithful. Thank you so much for your attention. We'll see you next week. Pray for me for the next service, will you? I want to be able to deliver it just as well and confidently. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace. 